I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Isco. And I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your regular host, Hurricane St. James. Actually, <laughs> that's a good name for a hurricane, you know? It is. It hurricane St. James. And, yeah. and the original title of the film was Hurricane, for what that's Yeah, for. it was. It uh, was. With us today... Uh, David Iserson is back, his first 92 episode, uh, to talk about, um, oh my God, why am I drawing a blank on the director's first name? Uh, Carl, Frank, Carl, Frank. Carl, Carl Franklin. Franklin, my apologies. I had Franklin in my brain. Carl Franklin's One False Move. Um, David, thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> wait, before we yes. get into it, because you just brought it yes. up, do we learn why his name is Hurricane? Nope. I don't remember. <laughs> nope. Okay. He said he literally says people call me that I don't know why. <laughs> so I feel it, it feels yeah. to me having grown up in a small town it feels to me like a mocking nickname. I, I think I think so of, yeah. Mm-hmm. He is I'll say this and I don't want to read too much into it but the man talks a lot and it's and he you know doesn't sit down to finish a meal he's kind of got this chaos he's kind of a bit of an agent of chaos a little bit or at least that's the perhaps the persona that he's kind of concocted for himself because there's obviously as we'll discuss kind of the this this depth of of kind of darkness that that exists with him as well but yeah i i think one false moves a better title than hurricane especially if you're not going to explain why he's called hurricane but i mean you know um so david i reached out to you yeah and uh and 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 asked if you'd come on and this was one of the films that you picked yes um why'd you pick it so I had a, this was like a 
section of early pandemic where I was dipping into 80s, 90s thrillers, neo-noirs, movies I hadn't seen before. And I, I don't even think I'd heard of this movie. And so I was... And knew nothing about it, kind of going in, and so I was I was really struck by it. I I I, um, I think it's a really um, unexpected tight movie. It has it, it based on the sort of opening of it. You don't expect it to have any comedy in it, but it has like yeah. it, it matches these these two tones, and I, I just think it's a really interesting. It's it's interesting to evaluate a film. Right before we started um, recording, Phil and I were talking about just mm-hmm. reevaluating movies from the past. But this is kind of evaluating a movie that I feel like, and I maybe I'm wrong, but like made almost no cultural dent, at least from my purview. And so, just evaluating a movie that like is kind of a hidden gem to me, and um, I, I found it really surprising and and I uh, and really gripping and moving. Yeah, I was. So this is one of those movies that. Um, first of all, I hadn't seen it. Emily, had you seen it? Yes. I, um, I'd never seen it. When Carl Franklin became one of like the TV house directors, I went back and because this movie, I'd heard been hearing about this movie my whole life. So, um, uh, cause yeah, it was a big deal in 92. It made, made, it was Siskel's number one. It made uh, a number of awards lists, not the Oscars. So Mm -hmm. it did, but it, it definitely has been a bit lost to time, but the story of it, I definitely remembered as I lump this together with the last seduction of all things yes, as, yes. As, as movies that were like produced under unusual means that then became yes. big in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so uh, and we're also similarly kind of noirish in their ambitions. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So when I had this little this tangent of of. Uh, 90s 80s 90s neo-noir that i hadn't seen before i think i i watched this in tandem with last seduction also which i also loved yeah it also i mean similarly to what you're saying emily almost went straight to video um you know last seduction was a movie that that had a brief airing on hbo which is why linda uh, uh, fiorentino could not be nominated for best actress um and i do feel like this movie also kind like there are these cuspy movies um, you know, back when you really kind of only had two ways of releasing a film, um, which was straight to video or in theaters. Yeah. And it's understandable why this movie, which didn't really have any stars in it. I mean, Bill Paxton is a name, but like, I understand why maybe they. He's a direct to video name at that point in time. Yeah. 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 I mean, cause like true lies comes out in 94, obviously, um, you know, 95 is Apollo 13 and it's kind of an ascension from there, but like, this is still kind of early in his career um and and it's it's interesting so the company irs pictures <laughs> who i've never heard of before oh they're 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 uh rem's record label and oh, uh, really yeah so so the guy cool. so so the guy who um ran the company owned the company um uh is miles copeland is Stuart copeland from the police's brother so they um oh, wow. uh, so he was he was the police's manager and and um and then yeah that was rem's record company too so i i don't That's know so that they have a big a film imprint he was a uh, miles copeland was a executive producer on it but i think that this was a foray into uh i guess financing movies for them yeah i mean it's it, it it's it, the original plan was to 
go straight to video. Then it did some festivals, and I think it started to get some word of mouth, and people started to feel positive about it. And then, as you mentioned, Emily, Gene Sisko voted it as his favorite film of 92. Um, you know, it, it, it does feel like it's also, you know, Billy Bob Thornton wrote this film, co-wrote this movie. Um, you know, as a lot of actors, as they're trying to break in, do they will write something for themselves. Um, and this was kind of a calling card thing that he was able to sort of, you know, this this was the first time that Billy Bob Thornton ultimately was really seen by people. Um, and obviously he builds a career off of it, but um, it's a really good script. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he wins uh, for Sling Blade. Uh, he wins an Academy Award for screenplay for that. I, it is interesting how I don't think enough people talk about how good a writer Billy Bob Thornton is. I mean, he won, yeah, yeah, like like you said, he he won his one Oscar for yeah. screenwriting. It's uh, <laughs> like I I mean, yeah, has he written much since? It feels like not he that hasn't. I know of. Uh, I don't I don't believe he has. Uh, forgive me, I'm going to look it up right now, but I don't. It could think just he turn out he like wrote the two seasons of Goliath after David <laughs> Kelly left, and we just don't know about it. It would, I mean, it would be amazing if that was the case. Um, yeah, he, oh man, um, a family thing. He wrote something called a family thing. Oh yeah, thing. I've heard of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then I, of course he wrote the gift as well. Uh, yeah. the Raimi movie. Um, that's like 23 years ago though. <laughs> uh, you know, and then he, um, yeah daddy and them again these are things i don't really uh, movies that don't don't really exist but yeah i mean he's he's written some stuff i guess but uh, it's it's a really the the interesting thing i would say too is that of the performances in this film i do think he's very good in this movie but i also feel like um it's the biggest performance to some degree like it feels a little kind of like broadly performed i don't know if you guys agree in comparison to the other performances in this uh it, it's it's interesting because there's not a ton of ego to yeah. you know it's it's i think where billy bob it, it, weirdly his career sort of took um a turn it's like it, i think he became it, it feels like there's a lot of vanity to what he became as an actor which is so unlikely if you yeah. see him here this is yeah. well this is really interesting that it's a character he wrote because it, it's a character that he would very reasonably be cast as. Like, it doesn't feel like he's, it doesn't feel like um, he's doing like this Matt Damon, Goodwill hunting thing and like writing a movie star role for him when he wasn't getting movie star roles. He's writing a, like a heavy, a thug, a mm-hmm. bad guy, which is like, if he walked into a casting office, you'd be like, yeah, that's what this guy should be. And so, and, and, and Sling Blade 2 is, is maybe an opportunity to see him slightly different than he thought other people were seeing him. But after that, where maybe he was not um, writing his own things, but choosing roles, it was much more like, you know, a, a performances that were very much driven by his toupee and his veneers and then kind of what he became. But this is like a, this is like a sort of like a slimy guy, which, yeah. which is what he reads. I mean, if you were to like, point to this movie to somebody who was not familiar with Billy Bob Thornton and you would say this actor became one of like a bankable movie star for 10 years a few years after that I think it would be very surprising because he is such a slimy gross guy Billy Bob arc is bizarre but yes go ahead if you go and look at reviews of this movie he's the guy who gets singled out 
almost oh, always. And like, I remember that's the one thing I, the one thing I kind of knew about this movie when I watched it, I think yeah, probably 10 years ago at this point was that he was in it and he was like, like heavily acclaimed for playing like a new twist on the heavy, basically. Um, which I yeah, think is I mean, mostly yeah. that just that he has an accent, but <laughs> I, it is interesting. Cause like, he is one of those guys that, um, I feel like he, like even just aesthetically, he's gone through so gone through this interesting kind of arc. Like the way he looks in this film with this like rat tail, ponytail kind of gross guy. Then you look at him in Sling Blade, where obviously he's aesthetically very different than to your point. Uh, a baby has entered the chat. Um, I uh, I feel like it is kind of fascinating that he becomes a bit of a sex symbol, and part of that is because of his marriage to Angelina Jolie, I think to some degree. Um, but like, we just kind of, like you mentioned the hair piece, David, <laughs> like we just buy that he has hair now. It's like, it's like uh, Elton John. I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, uh, we're, we're supposed to buy it, I guess. My, 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 my uh, eye for spotting wigs is a, um, <laughs> It's, your it's, it's, well, it's, it's 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 a it's it's where um yeah my wife and i have like um different different uh experiences viewing movies where i can spot wigs and nose jobs <laughs> whereas i there was an episode of this podcast where uh, i think it was i think ashley lyle was on and was talking about the wigs on yellow jackets and i was like I didn't know there were wigs on that show. I have no idea. There are like wigs most, on that show. most of television has wigs and most of films, yeah. just tons of wigs. And I'm always like, well, they just did that to their hair. That's just what they did that day. I mean, a bad wig is hard not to notice. And I'm not suggesting yellow jackets yeah. has bad wigs, but no. I, you know, I think part of it too, is that he, Billy Bob had God. a career pre hair piece. Yeah. And then we just were, told no 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 that person doesn't really exist anymore this 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 hairpiece person is the person we're supposed to buy into but he also lost a lot of weight i feel like he just kind of went through stuff um i'm gonna give a brief uh synopsis just to give people context as emily took off um following a series of drug deals and murders three criminals fantasia ray malcolm and pluto travel from Los Angeles to Houston, finally arriving in a small Arkansas town to go into hiding two detectives from the LAPD who are already on the case, contact the town's sheriff, Dale Dixon, played by Bill Paxton, to alert him to the fugitive's presence in the area. Underestimating Dixon, the criminals have no idea what they're about to face. One false move opened on May 8th, 1992, and it would go on to make $1.5 million on a $2.5 million budget. It's got 94% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 75% from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film four stars, said, here is a crime movie that lifts you up and carries you along in an ominous, ominously rising tide of tension, building to an emotional payoff of amazing power. On the very short list of great movies about violent criminals, One False Move deserves a place of honor besides such different kinds of films as In Cold Blood, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, and Badlands. It is a great film, one of the year's best, and announces the arrival of a gifted director in Carl Franklin. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that hit me about this movie, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit up top, David, is that like it kind of starts as one thing and then really kind of evolves into a really rich character piece. And I, I mean, that comes back to sort of what we were talking about, how great the script is. But like that also feels like it's kind of um, 
turning the genre on its head as well to a certain degree. Would you would you not agree? Yeah, I mean, I think I, there's another sort of thing that I think the screenplay does that that I found particularly impressive, which is that um, once Hurricane is introduced, yeah. I think there's a very obvious trajectory of where the movie would go in less deft hands, which is like sure. he is um, underestimated by these big city cops and he proves himself, which sort of happens, but <laughs> kind of, but, but we, I mean, I guess sort of happens by beats, yeah. but more to the point of like, we, we underestimate him, but in the, wrong way we underestimate that like he we believe that he will have no you know would have no real impact because he is kind of a moron we don't realize that he is um very intertwined and that like he that he is not he's not the moral center of this movie and um and that is i think a really interesting um way for it to go like he yeah. has a way of surprising the audience and i mean i was surprised so i, I didn't kind so of know where the twist would would go I, um... yeah i you know the 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 dale aka hurricane character um part of it too is and again this is why it's interesting to me emily that like everyone talks about the billy bob thornton performance because i think bill paxton is phenomenal in this movie and so perfectly cast as a guy who He's got this kind of boyish face. He seems like a good guy. You're on his side. And I wouldn't even necessarily say that he's revealed to be a quote-unquote bad guy, but he's revealed to have moral complexity and is revealed to have made you know poor decisions in his early life that he still kind of feels guilt over, understandably. And, and there's this sort of like, I think to your point, David, there is a for lack of a better word, a, a Clint Eastwood-esque arc that could have transpired for Dale's character where he is sort of a much more sort of archetypal hero. And the fact that this movie bucks that at the sort of midway point, right around the point where you're supposed to feel sorry for him because he overhears these cops mocking him, that's kind of the moment when the movie's actually kind of hinting at you that there's something else going on with this character. It's, it's, it's really smart. It's just really clever. Uh, this is like several minutes ago, but my baby spilled an entire mug of coffee, so I had to clean that up. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but why, uh, was, why I, was why was your baby drinking coffee? <laughs> she, you know, the thing is yeah. that she just needs to get that get up and go in the morning. Yeah, yeah it's difficult. Yeah. I get she, it. I get it. <laughs> um, the uh, but uh, my larger point about wigs was I genuinely had forgotten that Billy Bob Thornton has a hairpiece. I just am like, oh, he's got that hair. Like, I just am apparently very taken in by any hair that someone has on their head. People Fair would enough. complain about the bad wigs on the Americans, and I would be like, no, those aren't wigs. They keep changing their hairstyles. Actually, they <laughs> yeah. were they had really good fucking wigs on the Americans, but, you know, they, they, made, they, a, did, they made a show of the wig work on that show. Absolutely. And it just absolutely. didn't. Yeah. It took yeah. me to see the wig trailer one time, and I was like, mm, wigs, but I, like, didn't connect, <laughs> you know? Wigs. Connect. Anyway, I, I, uh, yeah. I, I yes, was ne ahead. I was never on Dale's side. I started this okay. movie. This guy's kind of a piece of shit. And like I had I hadn't seen this movie in I mean they they one of the first lines of dialogue he has, he uses a racial slur. And he's mm -hmm. the one white true. character in the movie who does. That's like true. and that's really clearly like at yeah. the time I could see you sort of reading it as like this guy's 
uh, you know, this guy's just a good old boy. But Billy Bob Thornton's from that world. He knows like what that's going to signify in the mind of the sure. audience. And it, yeah, it's, I, I just like, I just saw this guy as a total hypocritical piece of shit from the first. So when the twist came, I was like, mm-hmm. fuck yes, this movie's on my wavelength. I, I don't mean to suggest that I necessarily liked Dale's character. Um, it was more sort of that. Um, the movie I love does, that you don't, yeah. I love that you don't pick up on wigs, but you pick up on piece of shit character. I mean, that's how you know I was raised in years ago. <laughs> but it, I, I do just think that whether or not you liked him or not, I do think that the signals are there outside yeah. of that slur for you to like this guy. He has the pretty clear traditional character arc. Yes. yes. And the success of this movie is the way it undercuts it. And I think that's why it's so brilliant that Carl Franklin directs it because Carl Franklin is himself a black man. Carl Franklin is himself aware of these power dynamics and has talked about that often in interviews. And that is why this movie can set hurricane up as like, Oh, he's going to be the conventional protagonist. And I'm sure the script read that way, but like all along, Carl Franklin's playing up the hints from the script that are like, this guy's not everything he says he is. That I agree with. And, and I, you know, <clears throat> I, I was sort of impressed. I was impressed by this kind of aw shucksy introduction to him as well. Right. Like he's in this small town, the, the kind of the major introduction to him is, is over a, uh, a phone call with the LAPD as he sort of, you know, talks way too much and is sort of this kind of, it's almost a classic Bill Paxton kind of over-talking kind of thing. And I think we're supposed to feel an affinity for him and feel like he's kind of this underdoggy kind of character, um, especially in the scene when I mentioned of him overhearing the cops making fun of him. I feel like we're supposed we're supposed to feel something for this guy. Um, and that's part of the kind of, you know, setting up yeah. a twist, obviously, of, of that. But I also feel like it's worth mentioning, too, um, a simple plan, mm-hmm. which is Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton, again, um, it's the Sam Raimi film from 98, a great movie. They're both great in that film as well. And I feel kind of sort of like playing into different versions of the characters from this movie in a way. Um, do you guys see that? Yeah, yeah. You talk, you mentioning that film, and I was thinking about Carl Franklin's next film, Devil in a Blue Dress, which I think is his, is his best movie. Absolutely. Um, but I just like we. You talk often about genres that don't exist anymore, and um, often in the context of erotic thrillers. And like, I don't really miss erotic thrillers. I don't need them to make a comeback. This kind <laughs> of like crime novel, you know mystery neo-noir thing it's usually set in a rural area or like something like that that's that's the genre i miss we get like maybe one of those every five years and it's always like a winner's bone once every decade yeah and i like i i miss that i want more movies like that and i don't want them to be winner's bone where they get made in some you know weird independent corner of whatever yeah you know it's similar to that um and Winter's i, I feel like is during, great but yeah i feel like during the pandemic there was a lot of like people doing deep dives into things obviously and it felt like the john grisham thing came up a fair mm-hmm. amount too where people were like where did these go um so there is sort of it feels like there's a bit of a vacuum for that stuff but did you right. did you like the grisham stuff david 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that it's those were just such this, these these phenomena of books. And it and it right. hit me even like in, I don't know, elementary school or middle school, like when yep. when he was sort of hitting his peak. Like, I, I remember that I remember in seventh grade or eighth grade or something like we got to like for a book report we could read whatever book we want and there were just many kids reading the firm and i just couldn't <laughs> it, it's it's a weird thing to wrap one's head around like a bunch of um you know 14 year olds doing whatever the equivalent is of that now but mm-hmm. i think i think so um I, I haven't revisited those movies in a while um but i yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching them all, and I and and that was that. Yeah, that it's it's the budget level that has gotten like this budget level exists. Like there are yeah. there are big movies, and you know, and one or two million dollar movies in which this sort of like falls into. And I think that yeah. like if this movie was made now, like they would it would it would have the same budget as it as it had in nineteen ninety two, and you know, and some some corners would be cut. But like this is a producible movie which sort of exists and 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 some of these kind of pop up from time to time but like yeah it's it's the um but it still is complicated and smart and and but is like still like hitting for a a larger like it's swinging for a larger audience like this is this is still a thriller i mean these stories sort of exist in television not as artfully done i mean i i think there is a like small town um crime story that exists i don't know in the jack reacher tv show but you cannot argue (laughs) that that has any tonal similarities to this but it does like and and I'm and I'm assuming Goliath, which I haven't seen, <laughs> probably also shares some like on sure. the page similarities in in genre. But yeah, this is its own. Well, I feel movies. like you know the movie that that kind of comes to mind recently, and I don't know that it's it's not really the same thing. But uh, No Sudden Move, the uh, the Soderbergh movie that went straight to HBO Max mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, during the pandemic, maybe yeah, before. yeah, yeah sure did, like yeah. I I do feel like Soderbergh's kind of a guy who's sort of kind of when he's doing thrillers is in this space a little bit, but I know what you're saying that that we we just there there really hasn't been this movie in a very long time. But it's also like Soderbergh. I love Soderbergh, but like the Soderbergh touches on everything he makes, and he's never going to make a movie that's kind of this this like tactile there's a there's a quality to one false move that feels like you can reach over and feel like the way that everybody's sweating and i don't know that steven soderbergh's the guy to make that um the i mean the obvious the obvious comparison for me is justified which is a tv show but also like that show was the one that figured out you kind of have to do like a weekly story to capture that feel um and of course a lot of people got furious about that but (laughs) Well, I also think like I, I think that's a really good comparison, but it's also worth noting, you know, Elmore Leonard as a writer mm-hmm. is is you know there's there's a there's a floridness to the way that he writes care. You know what I mean? Like it's all kind of a little bit larger than life, and everyone's kind of bordering on sort of this cartoonish. I, this movie feels a lot more 
grounded to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I, I love Justified and I love Elmore Leonard, but I, I do, I, I agree that that's the closest comparison. And it's sad that that's the closest comparison that we can come up with ultimately. But um, by the I way, to, yeah, as yeah. someone who watched several seasons of Goliath, that's much closer to something like The Verdict or The Lincoln Lawyer, which is to say it's in the same <laughs> general universe, but it's way over here as like big city, small time lawyer who like gets a Which shot Christian. at the big time yeah right it's it's yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and i think i think justified which i also um loved and i i rewatched it i rewatched the pilot recently and you know it it definitely feels like a tv show which i don't think is a a criticism sure. but it but but that also very traditionally has a hero at the center i mean he's complicated but very very much he is um Raylan Gibbons is 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 what maybe a lesser movie might make Hurricane in this. Right. I I do think as well it's worth kind of unpacking how this movie perceives the police mm-hmm. to some degree. You know what I mean? Like I I think that there's obviously this kind of chasm, if you will, between local law enforcement and big city police detectives or whatever you want to call it. And, and, and that kind of, there is sort of a a class thing going on in this film as well. Obviously there's a race thing, but they're just, it it does feel like the police or at least the LAPD feel of a sort of, um, I don't, I don't even know that I would say like, are they better at their jobs or are they just more jaded? I don't know. Well, what the, what the, I mean, I would say, I would say defund the star city police, but I think they've been defunded. <laughs> that is the, that is the uh, lowest sure, budget. Sure. Like it, it feels like the deputy sure. is volunteering. It feels like there is one cop. Yeah. He doesn't seem to get paid any money. Um, so, uh, but the LAPD, I, I, I appreciate that they at least demonstrate moments where they are also buffoons, but in different ways. I mean, right. I think I think at one point, um, you know, the one cop talking about how he grew up in a rural environment because he was born in Malibu was was also their way of showing ultimate like disrespect for them. I mean, I, I think that it is, yeah, it's it was it's an interesting like class dynamic. I, I yeah, I'm not exactly sure where it falls down on the capabilities of the LAPD, but they certainly have the budget to have two of their detectives like just decamp to the middle of uh, they, middle America for a few weeks. They they have solved a crime before, like that's <laughs> yes. that's the implication here, and like that, you know, I buy that. I buy that these two guys have solved a crime before. It's sure. also like if you are, um, uh, I mean. I'm not going to like weigh in on the the police angle because the police are a terrible institution. But if you are dramatically depicting the police, like a detective is still like a less fraught thing because they do in theory have a job that they are sent to do, which is to solve these like major crimes. And like, so that's, um, and then you're contrasting that with, honestly, I think we talked about this in an earlier episode, but, but Bill, Bill Paxton's, police force is the police force i grew up with it had very little funding it was like one guy and he just sat there to collect traffic tickets because like that was you know how he kept like met his budget and there was like a couple deputies who who volunteered or got like half time pay 
And then in the wake of September 11th, money floods into these programs and they just get overfunded. And that's why like everybody has a tank now, but this movie like really depicts the way that the police officers that I, I grew up with. So like you would see something like, um, like protests and uh, against the LAPD or the NYPD or whatever. And to me, it would just not compute. Cause I was like, well, no, the cops are the guys who sit there and don't do anything. And that was that was true, but also they were, you know, the t- times when they did do things, it was very, very bad. So, I, you know, the thing too, I mean, just on a, on a purely like competence level, the thing that kind of amazes me about this film is, um, it it, it only kind of gets solved, and I put solved in quotation marks because really it's just a bloodbath at the end of this movie, but is because of, of Dale's connection to Fantasia or Lila, um, of which he knows early on in this movie, right? Like as soon as he sees the the security footage of Lila in the convenience store, once that shoe drops, Dale's ahead of this thing, right? Like he knows that he can get, you know, that he's going to quote unquote solve this thing from that point on. Um, I guess I'm just sort of like, I don't know how great any of these cops really are at their jobs. I, I it, it, from a from a crime solving perspective, it's not a movie that's particularly interested in that, which is fine. I'm just saying. well, well, that. there's there's one clue, and this this speaks to the sort of tightness of this screenplay. But the very first line of the movie is yeah. is sets up the entire movie, which is which is the woman at the party casually saying. I thought you went to Star City or whatever she says. And that is the one clue that because the LAPD has access to state of the art, like sound program, they're able to like technology, pick up off this video. And that was it. That's, that is, you know, that is ostensibly the clue that is the only real clue that the LAPD gets and and that kind of brings Correct. them to what they what they need to where they need to go i so you brought up the the opening of this film and and i again had not seen this film um didn't i had a i had a, a a sense of what this movie might be about the movie that i weirdly conflate this movie with is uh is thin blue line <laughs> so take that for what it's worth um the, the Aaron morris just, movie Yes, I don't know. What, I think it's because, and as our audience knows, I worked in a video store, and that the video box covers of these movies looked somewhat similar to me. And like one false move, thin blue line, like in my brain, these two things just were weirdly conflated. They're very different movies, obviously. Um, one of them I is would, actually much I would more love an exploration see, of the. I would love to see the Errol Morris documentary about this case <laughs> in the one false move sure. universe. It would be great. Yeah. But I, I, so I hit play on this film and the, the opening sort of, let's say 15 minutes or so of this movie is really harrowing and really upsetting. Um, it's a series of, of murders essentially, um, and, and shot in a very sort of fly on the wall kind of way. It all feels very uh, plausible, I guess. Like you're just watching this, um, the, the most upsetting sort of, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of upsetting stuff that goes on in this opening portion of the film, but uh, Pluto played by Michael Beach stabbing that person, like sort of wrapping their head in a, in a shroud of sorts or a bag. And then st- like, there's just this, um, 
is very kind of primal feeling to these opening sequences and the way that it's shot by Carl Flank, by uh, the director, the way it's blocked, all of it, I just found it very upsetting. I don't, the, what did you guys think of the opening? I, I watched this, I watched this on a plane last night on the, okay. on my way back and I was very tired. And so like, I, I fell asleep and then I, I, I paused it. I didn't just let it play out while I was asleep, but like, I could not follow it. And I've seen this mm. movie before, I think. And then I, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, I was just very sleepy. But <laughs> I do think part of it is Carl Franklin, like, shoots this in a way that trusts you to make a lot of logical leaps. Like, sure. we never actually see um, Ray go into Marco's house. We see right. him, like, Marco talking to Bobby, and Bobby goes in after Marco. And then we cut to Marco tied up on the floor, and we are just supposed to believe that like Ray is in this space, but we're, this is our second location we've been introduced to in less than 10 minutes. It is another sort of indistinguishable LA house. And like Carl Franklin is trusting you to keep up with a lot of information here Mm -hmm. in a way that is like, I don't want to say like, like difficult to parse. If you are an attentive film viewer, you'll be able to follow it easily, but it's very, he's very like confident in your ability to follow that. And like, I'm and sure they shot the, the footage. I'm yeah. sure they shot the footage of Ray barging into the house, but he's like, you don't need that. You know, you know what happened. Yeah. And I think, I think they do something similar and powerful with the uh, child that's, that's mm-hmm. in the opening sequence. And it's really, um, you know, just ha- like the two child performances in this movie are incredible. incredible. Both, both the, both the little boys in this movie, like, but that Let's not forget Bonnie. She's good at what she's asked uh, to do. (laughs) Um, The other thing that just really places this in a moment in time are is a child named Bonnie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but um, yeah, I mean her um, uh, Fantasia slash I like going into that back room, seeing that child trying not to cry. Um, we don't know what she does until, you know, uh, a scene or two later when we see the child taken out, but like, mm-hmm. and then using the overlap of Bonnie crying to, you know, which, which is, which also just like, is, is such a stark, it, it's telling something in a story about like the two different worlds and which is sin, which is very simply that Bonnie is allowed to cry and this child is not, but, um, but it is, yeah, it's, it's, and we don't really, you know, because Lila is not a, um, somehow a perfect character that has got caught up in something. She, she also does terrible things in the course of the movie. And, mm-hmm. um, but that she at least has the humanity to um to save this this child like that that really sets up a lot of the dynamic of what we want to happen in justice to these characters is it's it's all very very well done it's it's really well directed yeah and it i mean it 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 shows where the line is for for fantasia to some degree right which is that um, when the reveal happens that we realize that thankfully she didn't kill this child or, or uh, you know, uh, point out the child to to uh, Pluto or uh, Ray, you also think to yourself, okay, so she's not quote unquote a murderer, right? Like until deeper in the film where she, you know, shoots a, a trooper in the head. But listen, when then you realize who hasn't, who yeah, hasn't? 
want it to do us. <laughs> If you're going to kill, I, I think, it, it, I, I do think the movie, this is a cultural assumption that's changed. I do think the movie is like, well, that's the one line you never cross. You never kill a police officer. And like, yes, you, that gets you in a lot more trouble with the law. But now we're like, sure. <laughs> I mean, if it, yeah, it's, you know, it, it was, it was a moment I didn't see coming because I didn't think that quote unquote, Lila was capable of that or that Fantasia was capable of that, 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 that she was willing to sort of turn a blind eye to things but not actually get her hands dirty herself um that moment also sort of hit me a little bit in the sense of this movie's got kind of a fargo vibe a little bit too in Mm -hmm. terms of the the terms of the plotting in terms of how sort of we're following you know both the criminals and the detectives and kind of cross-cutting between these two things and watching these two now obviously this movie's the tone of this movie is drastically different, but there does seem to be sort of this. Um, I don't want to say these criminals are as bumbling necessarily as they are in Fargo, but they also seem uh, in over their heads. Let's put it that way. They, they do not seem to be, uh, you know, particularly great uh, criminals. I think as criminals, what, you know, they're, you know, the criminals in Fargo are, I mean, they're brutal, but they're, you know, they're more, they're yeah. more comic. Um, and these criminals, Pluto and Ray, I think that they clearly believe themselves to be better criminals than they are. I mean, they're, they are brutal. They have this plan. They execute the first part of their plan successfully. I mean, it, you know, it lead, leaving a huge body count. So like cruelly, but yeah. Their ability to actually get, you know, sell these drugs and have this sort of payday, which is the whole impetus to doing it, they are pretty bumbling. They 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 trust some mm-hmm. people they shouldn't trust oh to God. believe that they yeah. can they can pass off this th- these drugs and kind of like leave all of these sort of trails of clues. So they're not smart criminals, mm-hmm. but they are not played for laughs. I think correct. I think Pluto is is the character in this movie that I sort of, I don't want to say related to, but kind of was like, yeah, I would plan the crime itself within an inch of its life. And then I would have no thought as to like how to like get out of it, basically. I would just be like, oh, well, I've done it. Now I'm just going to improvise. It'll be fine. It'll be great. Yeah. You know, Pluto's character is definitely the one that I found the most sort of unsettling, if that's the right word. Um, the, the, the sort of the, the calmness for the most part. I mean, he has a couple, you know, outbursts, but for the most part, he seemed quite composed. Um, there's also something very kind of the fact that he quote unquote, likes killing people with knives is just sort of that there's something very sort of primal about that and how close you are to the person. And, um i think that that is incredibly upsetting um michael beach is really good in this movie um he's he's an actor that i know primarily from er um he had a pretty big arc on that and then he was on third watch um i mean i i'm not quite sure i know him from any other films but do you guys know him from anything else i i love him as somebody who pops up you know right, when right. i see him i'm like oh he's good because he's always he's, he's, he's always just guy. always good you know yeah um he's, he's but very good. he never yeah he never quite had the thing because third watch was never the hit er was and like yeah. al boulet is like a, a good character but is probably if you're thinking about er pretty far down the list pretty far down the list he's of. in 
He's in Shortcuts, which I didn't remember mm-hmm. him in. He's mm-hmm. in Lean on Me, which I do remember. Waiting to Exhale, uh, Soul Food. Um, so he, you know, he's—I guess he was on Sons of Anarchy as well. He's a very, very good actor, and he's very yeah. good in this movie. Um, yeah, he's not—he is not the character I relate to the most, though he is no the character that dressed the most like me in 1992, <laughs> with his high-waisted Z Cavaricci pants and his button-down shirt and round. Uh, uh, wire rim glasses. I guess the character I related to most would be Hurricane's <laughs> wife, who reads nonfiction. So speaking of Hurricane's wife, um, she has a really good scene, one of my favorite scenes in the film, when she's talking to um, what is the other police? Uh, Cole. She's talking to Cole in her kitchen. He's there out in the back drinking with Dale and he comes into the kitchen. He grabs a second bottle of booze because they've already worked their way through one. And she essentially says to him, like, she's worried about her husband. She's worried about him perhaps getting killed in the line of duty or whatever the case might be. Um, And that she's concerned about Dale seeing these two LAPD officers as heroes and as something that he longs to be. Um, And then uh, at the end of the scene, uh, Cole puts the bottle down, which is just a nice touch. I liked the fact that he does not bring more booze out to them. He then goes outside and tries to sort of talk to Dale about the fact that, you know, they're not heroes and he doesn't need to be a part of the apprehension of these criminals if he doesn't want to be to try to kind of assuage any guilt he has about the situation. But I, I just I really liked the nuance of those two scenes. I liked how they were played. I think that in in a lesser movie, you wouldn't get a scene like that that was played at such a sort of, you know, grounded, um, believable level. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I can't believe my baby spilled coffee all over me. <laughs> God damn it, Emily. I'm just sitting here, like, just, like, soaked in coffee. Just, like, I'm sorry to, to hear that. No, it's okay. I'm having a very, this is a bit, I loved this movie. I'm having a very nice time with this discussion. And I'm also covered in coffee. So. <laughs> Um, I, I, so I really love that scene. I think that it adds something to it and that it is, it is quickly kind of followed up by, um, this sort of convenience store situation with the, with the three criminals, uh, and then the state trooper and, and Fantasia killing the, the trooper. But, um, we then have the scene that I kind of alluded to earlier, which is Cole and McFeely, the two LAPD detectives, are sitting at a local, you know, diner or whatever. And they're kind of talking shit about the fact that that Dale alluded to maybe trying to join the LAPD. And they're laughing at him and they don't realize that Dale is behind them. 
um, as they're kind of mocking him. I don't know how much they think he heard, um, but it does create a, a, a an awkward situation with the three of them, which I appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume they think he heard the whole thing. I mean, they were loud and right. they were laughing. And and if he kind of caught a little bit, and you could see that he's hurt. So yeah. it's interesting because it doesn't, in, in any, in mostly it actually just makes him want to be even more risky. Yeah. Um, it's, um, you know, it's notable. And and I think actually I can, I can actually bring this thematically together with Emily getting a coffee spilled on her. Because, Thank you. That because, was, the, that was why I brought it up. Because I think it's, it's hurricanes. There is this runner of hurricane miss, not, not actually taking the correct responsibilities needed to be a parent. So his, his wife is is saying that like he doesn't need to be a hero he actually needs to be alive to sure. raise his daughter who needs him he um he n- never takes responsibility for the son that he knows is his even though he claims he he wasn't yeah. sure when he when he has this this face off with lila you know he he um you know who he meets at the end so he puts himself at risk in a way that actually nobody needed him to i mean you know it's it's um i mean to the to the extent that the cops probably would have gotten there a few minutes later it, yeah. it he's he lives not because he did anything better than the other he just happens to have gotten shot where he would live so he is he is um yeah he's running away from his responsibilities uh because he kind of wishes for a different fantasy life than he is going to live and sort of a, a, a possibly is going to do the right thing at the end when he meets his son, but who knows? Yeah. It's, you know, I feel like the, the, the kind of the tip of all the things you're referring to is the scene when uh, Dale and the two LAPD go to Lila's mother's house and they, talk with the mother the brother is also there we see dale's face the first time he sees byron which is his son um that's the c and then there's this i I really love this moment when dale says that some of the best policemen in the country are looking for lila and you get a reaction shot of their faces of feeling incredibly guilty about how uh how much he respects them i guess to some degree um and all of this is kind of mixed like this to me is when the movie starts to get um you're starting to see just how complex and how rich all of this stuff is um you're starting to get a sense of uh of just kind of the complexity of of what's going on in the situation Uh, it's a great scene yeah, and I should say that there is. I, I was remiss to say that they only kind of got one clue. They did. They do police work and get a clue from um, from Byron, which is a great little a great little great interrogation scene. scene or it's like, <laughs> yeah. are you are you are you lying? Did your uncle tell you to say that? Now we can yep. stop. Now we can stop playing pretend. Which is which was is yeah. great. I, I feel like yeah. I haven't really seen a really good child interrogation scene before and that works really well i totally agree that kid is great it's a good thing they sent lapd um baby police officers (laughs) who 
or just like that's yeah. their job is to talk to children under 10 just like yeah yeah you're you, i mean i can't wait for your, your baby police movie emily i know that you're working Listen, on that as we speak my, my <laughs> this this is this is a true thing my wife and i have this elaborate thing that uh-huh. we've been uh talking about uh for some time that is like uh-huh. basically a, a fake movie or fake pilot or something i believe it's called um I don't remember what it's called, but it is basically our baby is is a is a robber and there's a bulldog that dresses up as a police officer and they have a blimp. They they fly, they steal the Goodyear blimp and they fly around Los Angeles uh-huh. at night solving crimes and like stopping wrongdoers. And it's basically just a baby and a bulldog. So is your daughter like a cat burglar? She's dressed as like an old timey, like black and white striped, you know, okay, like prisoner. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but but yeah, she's she's a robber, and uh, the, sure. the dog is a cop, and uh, they <laughs> fight crime in a blimp. Now, do That's you great. have a do you have a bulldog? Like, is this producible, or you would have to cast? You would we'd have, have to, to cast. Ca- we'd have to cast a bulldog. I'm pulling a pitch deck together. Oh wait, I can't. I can't. I should not be talking about this. As we all know, David yeah, is the head of Lionsgate. So. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I do have like this, this, yeah, this movie podcast I do with the AMPTP that I'm gonna have to get on right after this. I might, I might. Uh... Yeah, you should probably tell me about it. I, it is. <laughs> I, it's a, uh, Dave, it's David intellectual property. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that the, it is looping this back to Byron who. The performance is great because obviously it feels like a real kid and he's very good in it. Um, as And as we all know, you know, kids don't always give us great performances. But um, there's also just something about Byron being like the linchpin to this whole third act, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, the final scene of this film that you alluded to, David, of like basically you've got uh, Dale bleeding out on the ground talking to Byron. Um, and 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 he's sort of trying to ask him about you know he's trying to glean information from just in terms of like who Byron is and it's clearly the first conversation the two of them have had whether or not Dale survives or not is is left uh, open ended, but um, in a weird way, kind of a father son movie, right? Like sort sure. of at its core uh, about this this man coming to grips with um, this. I mean, if we're being honest, this crime of statutory rape of of uh, Lila when she was seventeen that she alludes to, um, and the the consequences of those actions, uh, and 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 being, I guess, a, a, a acknowledging his fatherhood um, is not what I expected this movie to be when I hit play, uh, which is which really is a, a testament to how you know rich this movie is. Um, you know, I expect I, yeah. I expect every movie to be that when I hit play. Like I expect every movie to be movie. That. Yeah. yeah, a father son yeah. movie about struggling with parentage, and sometimes I'm rewarded, like in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah, no, very much so. I'll, I'll say that you know something that I that I found interesting uh, in the conversation between Lila and Dale near the end of the film is her talking about her uh, her racial heritage and why that made it seem quote unquote okay for Dale to do what he did. Like I it was just sort of that she is that she's mixed. So there was sort of this component of Dale feeling as though uh that I, it was it was 
very interesting and and something I had not really kind of heard I, before. I will say the Billy Bob Thornton's and I forget his co-writer name, like do a scene about colorism was a scene where I was like the movie kind of like lost not not too no, like it's just like yeah. it's they were very earnestly like stumbling through a thing sure, and sure. i was just sort of like this feels a little inauthentic not that it wasn't oh I did. Uh, not that it wasn't a thing that happened would happen but that the dialogue itself was very like that was the one time i was like these are definitely two white men like writing oh for sure i'm not yeah. i don't mean to i i was I, more than anything and I'm, i don't mean to pat them on the back for the attempt i guess but i was just it was something it's a, it was a it was a conversation yeah, i had not heard before it is one of the, it is a definitely a thing that like arises out of the milieu of the film i just yeah. think the execution was a little sure a I, little try, try hard i guess sure i thought one of the best observations of racial dynamics in the movie which i'm assu- which feels much more a director touch than a Greenplay touch because it's not really scripted mm-hmm. is when they're sitting having a barbecue um hurricane um uses a slur and the black detective laughs and my and seems to genuinely laugh but like my assumption you know from all sorts of workplace dynamics when somebody says something that offends you but you still want to you know work there and not be seen as a as a as a wet blanket he has become very good at showing everyone that he's cool with it you know like him laughing at it gives permission and that to me felt like a really subtle and fascinating piece of like of of um of directing and performing that that feels very true to somebody being the other in a situation. So essentially having to give permission yeah. to everybody to be offensive and racist and whatever he, it may be. He does, a, he does, um, McFeely does dissociation face, which is basically like, he just kind of leaves his body for like 10 seconds and does a yeah. polite chuckle. And that is how, you know, the situation proceeds without a confrontation that people would find uncomfortable. And like, I think that's a really smart, portrayal of 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 how often those dynamics are just sort of permitted to continue existing um and permitted is the wrong word how often those dynamics are not confronted because it's very hard to confront people who have that level of power um whether systemically or within like a workplace situation so it is i thought it was a yeah i thought it was a really neat little moment <laughs> yeah and then and then sort of later how how the wife tries to um you know apologize around, yeah apologize and round the edges off of that off of that situation as well which i thought was yeah i mean it's it's uh, i do yeah. think that you know billy bob coming where is he where is he from originally uh, he's from arkansas yeah um very yeah. much so I, I i do think that there is that sort of um you know he he does write this world really well he understands these these types of people um and the and the contradictions and complexities that exist within them which i think is really interesting i have not seen sling blade since it came out i remembered liking it when it came out but i don't know how it holds up have you guys seen it relatively recently or have you seen no. it since <laughs> yeah okay. no no i mean it's it's because that is one of those movies that are i mean 
I mean, that was a phenomenon. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it, um, It and I feel like everyone watched it and I, I, it probably, and I probably couldn't imagine having any desire to watch it now, but it might be great. I I mean, he's clearly a great screenwriter, so I should probably take a look. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. This may tell you a thing about like just the kind of world I grew up in, but like, you know how like, in the in the mid to late nineties, the movies all the kids were quoting are I don't actually know what movies kids were quoting, like clueless or whatever, because my friends and I were all quoting Sling Blade to each other mm-hmm. back and forth. Like I'm really? not even kidding. Yeah. Oh, that wow. was the move that was a movie that really again, this is I think uh, speaks to the sort of the differences in upbringing. Like I grew up in this place. I grew up in a place oh, like sure. I, I grew up in the Midwest and not the South, but like these movies about small town dynamics that Billy Bob Thornton writes really spoke to us or like the, another movie that I sort of think is similar to both is Fargo. And that was a movie that was like sure, sure. all over um, my, well, my, there's world. also the, the, the performance that Billy Bob gives in sling blade, you know, similar, not similar, but the, the, the way he speaks felt like, kind of Forrest Gumpy in the sense that people were doing that voice. You know what I mean? Like it felt like around the Sling Blade mm-hmm. f- phenomena, you had this sort of um, this voice that everyone tried to do, which they shouldn't, but they did. It's just interesting. I, I mean, I, I he, he's, he's a fascinating guy. Uh, it should be said he got married to Lila Fantasia, the actress. Uh, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. So they got married after filming was completed, and they were divorced before the film was released two years later. So he's like probably like a chill husband, right? Like... Super chill, my <laughs> guess. He's had six wives, um, so it seems pre- he's he is currently married. Um, yeah, I don't know. He doesn't seem like the chillest of of guys when it comes to his relationships, but I don't know. Uh, he's a lot. He's 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 a, he's a complicated guy. I don't know. Uh, but I, but I, I, I have not heard any of his, um, of his music either. I know he's in a band as well. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know he was an actor. I just knew he was an actor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, I, we did on the 99 podcast, um, pushing tin, uh, the, the, the John Cusack, Kate Blanchett, sure. Angelina yeah. Jolie, Billy yeah. Bob Thornton, air traffic control movie. Um, the, Yes, I'm I right. was so hyped for Pushing Tin when so it came was out. I. <laughs> I had read the the article it's based on, uh-huh. and I was like, "Whoa, this is a fucking exciting! This is a yeah. great idea for a movie." Yeah. It, was, it was, and and the creators of Cheers, they're they're yeah. one of their only credits I <laughs> as mean, feature writers. They should have just made it into a multicam. Is what they should have done about about True. air traffic control. And every so yeah. often, there's a plane crash. <laughs> but I, it's that movie is fascinating just in the sense of like the four leads are on like completely different trajectories like their careers go in four drastically different directions yeah and yet somehow it's also i believe it's a um uh oh my god who uh who directed it it's like someone of of some mike newell mike newell yes of course um Absolutely. Just, that's that's exactly who I was expecting to have directed that movie. From the director of Notting Hill? No, not Notting Hill. Four, uh, four, four, four Weddings and a Funeral, yeah. yeah. And Harry God, Potter. This, and the this guy's career. This guy's career. It's fascinating. Great. It's fascinating. Oh. Uh, have you seen Pushington, David? I 
I have a distinct memory. I mean, I, 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 um, I, I got it's it confused with Tin Cup in my in sure. my mind sure. as you started talking sure. about it. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I have a. I have a memory of sitting in front of the TV watching it. I, I have no recollection of anything that happened in it, but like definitely remember it being pushed much more like promoted. I remember it's promotion. Remember it felt like a romantic comedy as opposed to a like unusual job movie, which is like a genre I love. I love the unusual yeah. job movies or like the very specific, like, you know, the very specific niche of like, what are the, you know the processes of working in this job but i don't recall that that is what i was sold this movie as mike newell's filmography slaps i'm sorry there's so much good stuff in here and then there's also just what, occasionally what, 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 like what is mona, it that slaps for you mona lisa smile no uh enchanted april prince which, of persia uh, i love prince of no um four weddings <laughs> and funeral donnie brasco i did oh, like pushing tin um and uh uh Harry, the the fourth harry potter movie is one of the like not worse i don't know all the harry I potter like movies one. blend together outside of the quran one for me right. but that's and one the, of the better ones and yeah. the guernsey yeah. literary and potato peel so- pie society it <laughs> yep did, does still seem like a joke about a british movie it doesn't feel like a real movie <laughs> But I, I, I imagine yeah. it exists. I imagine people have watched it. And written. He, he has a fascinating career. I don't mean to suggest otherwise. Like, these are some weird swings, and I appreciate the swings. And I, when we did Pushing Tin, I kind of wrote for that movie. Like, I was like, you know what? This movie is trying some shit, and I kind of respect it. But ultimately, I remember sitting in the theater in 99 and being like, wait, this is a movie about, like, dysfunctional marriages? Is that what this is about? Yep. And, mm-hmm. and and planes i don't know it was it's it's a weird movie i just like i'm looking at all of i'm looking at all of mike newell's 80s work i'm like i gotta catch up with this guy this all looks great (laughs) i I i do think that billy bob thornton um has kind of this moment and it's around pushing tin and it's around angelina jolie where he attempts to be a sex symbol um and and does movies like Monsters Ball um, and uh, All the Pretty Horses. He directs that. Um, he's in Armageddon as well. Like he's in a lot of movies that I'm just like, I forget that this guy's in so much shit. Um, but the man who wasn't there, he's great in that. Like he's, oh, he's, great he's, movie. I don't know. He's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He's kind of sexy. Is he? He's kind of sexy. And the thing about him is he's not like sexy in the sense of like traditionally handsome. Like he's, he's, he's a good looking guy in the way that all movie actors are good looking on some level or another. What's his sexiest role? Do you think if you had to pick one, Emily? um, It was one of the ones you just, just mentioned. Um, Armageddon. uh, He's kind of hot in Armageddon. No, I (laughs) like, yeah, there's, but the thing about him is it's like, He's not necessarily sexy in his movies because in his movies, he's very good at playing a guy who is, I guess I'd say he's Bill Clinton sexy, where he's got this kind of overwhelming well, he's in primary colors. Yeah, he's got this kind of overwhelming <laughs> presence that kind of comes into sure, a room sure. and like uh-huh. doesn't give you enough room to like push back against it and kind of squeezes you against the wall. So like, I agree. You're like, that. okay. And he's charismatic. So you're like, I guess 
he's he he's the kind of sexy that makes you make bad decisions and then the next but then the next morning you're not like well that was fun you're like oh my god i feel like i need to take three showers so like I, I agree with that he's very he's just very weird but there is there is a sexy quality to him but i do think it is much more in his off-screen persona which is like this is the fucking weirdest guy you'll ever meet and he's really charismatic let's have sex with him yeah, I agree with all that. That all makes sense. Uh, he is, I mean, listen, I, I do think I agree with everything you're saying, that he has this leading man kind of quality um, that is charismatic to some degree. Um, I want to talk for a second about Carl Franklin's career um, as as we sort of get to the end of this. I, I, I do think that Devil in a Blue Dress is his best film, but then I'm also like, the movies he did after it are strange. Like I didn't know he directed one true thing. The that yeah, the, the, no, yeah, the, that's so strange. <laughs> like the weepy Meryl Streep, Renee Zellweger kind of Oscar baby thing. That's what he follows up Devil in a Blue Dress with. Um, and then he does High Crimes, which is an Ashley Judd, Morgan Freeman um thriller. Um, and then he does Out of Time, which I heard was good, but I've never seen which was the his uh he gets back with Denzel and they do sort of this Miami uh crime drama and i guess he has a movie that came out in 2012 called Bless Me uh Ultima which i've never heard of or or anything of of, of the site so it's he's, it's just kind of interesting but a lot he's of turned TV. He's on a the, ton of tv yeah, yeah he's yeah, turned into one of the great t prestige tv directors his one emmy nomination is for directing the episode of house of cards where where kevin spacey pushes kate mara in front of a train <laughs> <laughs> what a weird show what a like and i can't that is like the show where when it was critically acclaimed i was like oh we just will acclaim anything if it looks like a good tv show um, correct he i believe was he not like a maybe he wasn't i don't know why i thought he was like a producer director on the leftovers but i guess that was mimi leader he, dire- he um, directed a bunch of it but he was he directed not, a, f- yeah. a few yeah yeah, and he did some. He did an episode of Vinyl, um, everyone's favorite oh, yeah, show, Vinyl. Yeah, yeah, where... yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> the show that that everyone can see whenever they want, aka nowhere, and can't see it ever again. <laughs> uh, you know, it only cost HBO like one hundred and fifty million dollars, but you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, he's he's a really interesting filmmaker. Um, and I watched Devil in the Blue Dress for the first time during the pandemic, and was absolutely blown away by it that is and i believe that character because there's a series of books if i'm not mistaken yeah, walter mostly books up. yeah i mean yeah. i mean it's it's to me i, I think the only sort of uh, the reason i actually like this movie slightly better than devil in a blue dress but i think they're both mm-hmm. great is that i don't love the resolution of the mystery but i mean the character it, it made me wish it was more successful so that they could do more um easy wrongs movies easy Rollins, I'm not He's sure. Yes. Rollins, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because I, because I, because I, I love the character. Rights. Yeah, FX bought the book rights, and there is talk of them trying to do it. I mean, they are developing it as a series, which could be interesting. Um, uh, you know, I, to your, I agree with you, David, that the the end of it feels very like noirish, wrapping everything up with a bow kind of thing, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, but that feels more akin to the genre that it's a part of than than sure. a failing on the film to some degree. I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of but, surprised yeah. that I'm kind of surprised that with the boom in true crime, there hasn't been a similar boom in trying to adapt some of these like crime 
novels, you know, mm-hmm. these, these, these great mystery series, you know, yeah. um, um, Bosch is doing that and Bosch is mm-hmm. hugely successful, hugely so, successful. Like they, more of this I should do be think happening. That, I do think that like, if you look at the success of poker face and you look at, you know, I think that the procedural mystery show is going to come back in a bigger way. Um, so yeah, to, to your point, I, I also think like, I mean, not not to go on a tangent, but like the the moniker of procedural has such a stink on it. Even though like most television shows are procedural, like even I Succession think, to think, some degree is procedural. I like, think the pendulum has started to swing back. I, hope I think so. people. I think people are like much less now. I think that people are like it's kind of like when. Um, liberal rebranded as progressive and now they're two different things you know like now we have this side like you know liberal is bad and progressive is good and now yeah. progressive is we gotta say leftist and like i'll do all that because i like people thinking i'm yeah, cool sure but and uh, smart. you're smart but it is yeah. the very much like procedural is now like well now we're saying standalone and procedural is increasingly narrowly defined as like cbs crime drama we sure. should just say CBS crime drama. That's what we truly mean. So, I also well, think, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'll just d- dive in with one yeah. of my grand theories about about TV is yeah, that please. I think that, um, yeah, procedural has a stink on it. But really, what when you look at the shows that kind of hit these cultural touchstones, I think, I think it has become this realization that the eight hour movie, ten hour movie is makes for Sucks. really boring <laughs> TV shows, and what what um procedurals are successful at and is the this is the episode where this happens and that is a thing that succession was and succession did it very literally by having a new location a new event built around every single episode of that show um and so whether you kind of use the word procedural or not it is uh, I think inherent what makes television good as opposed to what makes it feel like a slog that there's no episode that feels like distinct from each other. It's, it's also the fucking thing that always happens in TV, in TV discussion where a term that is specifically invented to define one thing, procedural stories are specifically about the procedure of solving a crime. You can sort of expand it to something like house, which is the procedure of figuring out a diagnosis. And now it just means standalone episode in the same way that like bottle episode increasingly people Uh use to mean any episode that seems different to me it's like it drives me nuts procedural has a procedural has a specific definition that can be dealt well done or poorly done but now it's just sort of like a standalone show that my parents watch yellowstone is in no way a procedural people call it that it's it's a soap yeah, um, I, I do think, too, that, like, part of this also feels like a bit of a pushback off of the binge as well, right? Because I think the binge also hurt the individual episode and the specialness of an individual episode. And I think that, thankfully, now that we're back to, for the most part, more week to week, it's allowing people to sort of ingest the one episode and take in the one episode and see what it was doing as opposed to unhinging their jaw and eating an entire season of television over the course of a weekend um i think that that's hopefully the direction we're going in as well it's all i feel it feels like it's just all a pushback against netflix which is like this enormously cultural this enormous cultural monolith everybody has to subscribe to netflix i never watch it but i subscribe to it never watch it it. Yeah, it feels it feels to me like we all kind of hate it a little bit, 
like even just casual fans of television are like, ah, Netflix hasn't made anything good in years, but we all keep subscribing to it because it's it's force of habit at this point. Yep. Yes, I agree. I I, I fully agree. I think it's I, I think it's fascinating, but I do think that hopefully we're getting away from it. But um, the other thing about this is that Netflix's one biggest hit was Stranger Things, and Stranger Things does the succession thing. Every episode we have to do this thing, and like it's not yep. always well done, but yep. it it that. It's how you write television. Not not to let not to let anyone in on the uh on the big secret, but like, yeah, every episode is broken in such a way that it's like this happens this week and you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm eh, whatever. It's, it's, Bill, it's, let's it's, reboot MacGyver. Oh, we shouldn't have said that in front of David because if he's already yeah, oh, yeah. tell the AMP. I think it's I think it's on I think it's I think it's on, on TV. Yeah. No, no, no. We're gonna, yeah, it's it, it has canceled. We're gonna reboot yeah. again MacGyver Babies. MacGyver babies. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Little MacGyver? Young MacGyver? No, it's just a bunch of babies and together they make one MacGyver. It's like oh, Vincent okay. Adult Man from Bojack sure. Horse. They they wear they wear like a big uh yeah. Yeah, uh, and they coat. know a lot yeah. about how to like do things with weird science. Um so I do want to rate this and then I I'm curious to hear your thoughts David on on the movie we're covering next week. Oh, yeah. Um so uh I had not seen this film. Uh, I came into this podcast at an 80. I went up. I'm at an 85 now. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty phenomenal movie. I don't I uh, and Criterion is putting it out in a Criterion edition, I believe, in the next month or two, which I think is pretty awesome as well. Um, but yeah, I love this movie. I thought it was great. What about you, Emily? What do you think? Um, I when I watched it several years back, I definitely was like a solid mid 80s. I might tick it up a little bit. I'll say 88. I think it's a really great movie. Okay. There's a couple things in it. I'm like, eh, but like. There's always a couple things in every movie. I'm like, eh, so 88. True. Where does it fall on your queer phobia scale? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> These guys beat me up in high school. So like a seven. <laughs> oh, boy. But, no, oh, it's, it's boy. A, overtly, overtly, you know, um, there's less than you'd expect. But there's, yeah, it's definitely that air of that air of menace and you just know yeah. bill paxton oh, has absolutely. used some f slurs in his time so I'm, I'm gonna go down to a five and that's probably like a mean stereotype of me maybe like maybe hurricane like is flying a pride flag pride flag this weekend like maybe maybe he's <laughs> like no listen i accept everyone here including except for That'd my nice son if, if he grew as as yeah. a human yeah he still doesn't accept his son but <laughs> <laughs> david where, where does it fall for you um, is this on? Is this on a scale of one to ninety-two? Yeah, zero to yes. ninety-nine. We're doing ninety-nine still. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I, I love this movie. I think uh, I think it's a in the nineties, like ninety-one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's. I think I. I mean, I don't know. I, I had never seen it. I didn't know what to make of it. Um, I knew that it was that that people really liked it. So you know, but um, so next week, David, we mm-hmm. are covering Sister Act. Oh wow! With Stacy Traub, um, what are your thoughts on Sister Act? Wow. Well, I don't have. I mean, that I I only kind of have mushy memories contemporary sure. to the movie. I I think that it was something. It was a VHS that was just always yep. playing in my home. Um, I remember my brother really liking it. Um, I I think what. I think what Sister Act is that is amusing to me as a genre of film is the um, 
is when you when you think about the early 90s still being a holdover of the 80s and i think this was just a big 80s thing which is that um movies had to be a bunch of things for a bunch of people so like i i think there is that um so it has this crime element which i guess is it's it's um Impetus, you know it's yeah, it's, it's yeah. you know it's 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 yeah exactly it's um the, the thing the, the conceit yeah. that that gets her in there but I think that it is probably I'm assuming there is a third act that involves a bigger chase, involves some guns, you know. It mm-hmm. it's what reminds it's reminds me of a movie that I've watched more recently, which is Three Men and a Baby, where I think if you were to remake Three Men and a Baby now, I, I'm assuming that the premise could probably hold water enough that you didn't have to have a cocaine storyline <laughs> so i think that sister act is a you know probably a similar movie that they're like let's g- let's give something to the dads who's got who have to go in and watch this movie uh, the fucking cocaine stuff in three men and a baby is so crazy i love it though but um yeah sister act which i also i don't know if you guys that it's written by paul rudnick which is something i didn't know uh, of of adam's family values and in and out fame Uh, a great uh great writer Mm -hmm. in his own right uh emily do you have thoughts on uh, sister act have you seen sister act you must have sister act i don't know i'll we'll have to find that out next oh oh no okay the mystery might be solved. Um, I, I I do think, though, that... Wouldn't it be um, funny if I just was like, I actually couldn't remember if I saw this movie? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be amazing. I, you know, Sister Act is a movie that uh, I feel has this, like, kind of um, legacy around it to some degree. In the sense that I feel as though... I, I kind of equate it to the Hocus Pocus situation of, like, mm-hmm. a lot of teenage girls or just teenagers that watched this movie a ton and like people are desperate for sister Act. I like they really think, want a sister act three i think the cult audience is much more around sister act two sister act I, two I, is I really is the better movie and okay. is i, I got to watch that as well then is very much like that has the young lauren hill that has all the big musical uh-huh. numbers when i hear people talking about that they're talking about stuff from sister act two yeah so, really yeah, yeah. okay yeah, back in the Sister habit. Act One. Yeah, Sister Act One to me feels like it's been a little less because there's just no kids in it. Sister Act Two, you could watch a billion times because there's a bunch of kids in it. So, but I, yeah, I don't know. So, but if you look at the people involved in the first Sister Act, it has, I want to say, arguably a higher echelon of director and screenwriter. Um, Phil, you are this... not thinking like a twelve-year-old yeah, girl, right? Yeah, now. I, don't, I, I don't think I don't think that matters to yeah. To, to, the 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 director right. and screenwriter level is probably not why people think of it. I mean, I guess that's true. I mean, Scott Rudin did do the second one, and he did not produce the first one. So, I mean, there I you go. listen, and of course, a, a wonderful producer who has never done anything, never wrong. done anything wrong. Um, Sister Act Two is a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> I listen. I'm excited to to watch this movie because uh, I I have not seen it since I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Uh, Sister Act, which uh, made 230 million dollars in 1992, uh, which is like 550 today or something like that. I mean, it's just uh, it's wow. that's an obscene amount of money. That was was um, that worldwide or domestic? That's I believe that's worldwide, but still. Okay. I, yeah, um, it probably didn't do a lot worldwide. I mean, this probably was a big right. It's, yeah. I mean, I. I 
yeah, I, listen, I'm excited. I hope they make uh, Sister Act 3. I'm excited to talk about this movie. Um, I just remember that there's gangsters involved in it. Um, I you gotta right. watch Sister Act 2. You gotta watch it, Phil. So I have to you watch both watch of them? It. I gotta watch them both, Emily? You gotta get, you gotta get sistered up. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, I know, uh, by the way, I pulled up Billy Bob Thornton's filmography, and here's yeah. when he's at his early 2000s, peak uh-huh. sexy Billy Bob Thornton. Okay. Uh, Bandits, very hot in that movie. Uh, <laughs> no one's seen who, Bandits. I saw it very hot in that movie. Okay. Uh, uh, the Man Who Wasn't There, very hot in that movie. I think it's black and white. I think black and it white is. makes everybody yeah. Fri- a little Fri- bit hot. Fri- how does Friday Night Lights rank for you? In a, in a- I think he's very... I th- Here's the thing. I think he's very hot in that because he's just like a He's just like a guy. He's just like a guy I could get married to and maybe he's got like like a couple kids and his <laughs> wife died in a tragic accident. And he's like, I'm a you football were not coach. With, I'm yeah, a football yeah. coach down in Odessa, Texas. And I'm like, I'm a writer from Los Angeles, California, but sometimes I feel like I don't want to live in the city anymore. Sometimes I feel like it's sucking my soul dry and none of my work has any meaning anymore and then he's like he's like well why don't you come and hang out with me at this cookout and i'm like yeah and then we fall in love and that's what happens it's a beautiful story my wife just wandered in and said what the fuck is happening (laughs) um uh uh, bad santa i think he's i think he's hot in bad santa he's kind of hot gross in that he this is his thing he's hot gross which is that there's times where you're like (laughs) okay i guess libby what was billy bob thornton's hottest role she said, fuck this and walked out. <laughs> I can't wait for Libby to come on this podcast. It's going to be great. Whoa, we got to uh, do it. We got to do gonna, it. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Uh, David, is there a way for people to follow you on various oh, sure, yeah. social media? My name, David Iserson, at all things. Yeah. Um, uh, David is great. You can see lots of pictures of eggs. Uh, one of the best dogs around. Um, David, it would be so, so funny if your baby's name was Eggs. If you just had a baby named Eggs, I mean it's it's a good nickname because that yeah. is how they begin. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you, for, about... thank you for having me anytime. I love love chatting about these things. So can't yeah. wait to talk with you uh, about something else in the nineties yeah. at some point. It's gonna oh, be can't great. Wait. Can't um, wait. Thank you so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Yes, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to. Conti- I was going to continue. My- no, keep going. <laughs> please, please. Keep going. You're- so I'm just standing there at the cookout, and I have like a, a like I have like a hamburger and like you a really little like ear of corn and just some asparagus there on my little plate, and I have a beer. I don't normally drink beer, but like there's yeah, beer here, beer and person. when in yeah. Rome, but like yeah. I'm kind of running my finger around the rim of the beer, and I'm listening to some of the other ladies at the cookout. They're just talking about you know some of the stuff that's going on in Odessa. I look across the way. He's just looking at me. He's just looking, and I'm looking back, and I smile a little bit, and he smiles. And then, like, you know, that night, he takes me home, and I think, you know, we're going to do something. But instead, he's just like, I'm going to give you a rod deer hotel. And he gives me a little peck just right here on the corner of my mouth. What is going on right now? <laughs> if you want to hear, hear more of Emily's fan fiction about her marriage to Billy Bob Thornton, you should subscribe to her Substack. <laughs> never substack it's my ghost.io but my apologies uh david a blast as always we'll talk to you soon bye
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.